Happy Easter to all of you. It's a great day. Amen? We are in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you're using your phone, you want the New American Standard Bible, NASB, if you're using your phone. Go to John chapter 20. We're going to read through that chapter of John, 31 verses. It's a real easy read. It's a powerful read. And then we're going to pray. John chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John 20, starting at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary, Mary Magdalene, came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And and so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that's John talking about himself. And she said to both Peter and John, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth, meaning John, and they were going to the tomb. (laughs) And the two were running together, and the other disciple, John writes about himself, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. It's such a guy thing, right? I'm not sure why that's important, but John wants all of us to know that he beat Peter to the tomb. It's hilarious. If this were a picture Bible, I'm sure John would have had a nice photo of him finishing ahead of Peter. I know I would have, and I would have probably had a trophy that I had made for myself saying, I beat Peter to the tomb. You know how I feel about trophies, some of you. Anyway, I just think it's interesting. I think it's like, you know, this is, God's word is inspired. Like, why did the Lord inspire John to write that? It's just, to, I think it's to say, men, we, we, we haven't really evolved that much, have we? They were knuckleheads just like you and I, and yet the Lord used them in powerful ways. So where are we at? Verse 5? Thank you. (laughs) And stooping and looking in, he, John, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. I wonder why. And Simon Peter also came later, following him, and he entered the tomb. That's Peter, right? I'll go in. I'll check it out. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Verse 7. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple, John, who had come first to the tomb, then he entered once he saw that Peter had entered. And he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, and she was weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, and they were sitting. One was at the head and one at the feet where Jesus was lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said back to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Remember, verse 1 tells us it was early and it was dark. Verse 15, And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where is he? That I may take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
And then she turned and she realized it was him. And she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And so then Mary came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then she related all the things that he said to her. And so when it was evening on that day, Sunday, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were in fear, they were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came into this, into this place <laughs> where the doors were shut, and he stood in their midst, and he said, peace be with you. I wonder how Jesus got in there. The doors were shut. Maybe Jesus had a key. If Jesus can rise from the dead, he has no problem getting through a closed door. Amen? Okay. I always get lost. Where am I at? Where? 20? You guys are awesome. Thanks for paying attention. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I imagine I would have too. And so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you into the world. Even though they're in a room in fear, they're going to be bold for Jesus. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's where their power, that's where their boldness comes from. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And then there's Thomas. We know about, we call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, he was not there when Jesus came on that Sunday night. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he says to these men that he lived with for the last couple of years and walked with Jesus, he said, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Wow. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them and Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said again, peace be with you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, church. Jesus brings peace into our lives. Without Jesus, we have no peace. And he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, hey dude, go ahead. Reach here with your finger. See my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. But don't go on unbelieving, believe. And it doesn't record that he actually did that. It doesn't say that Thomas actually did that and then believed. Look what it says. Thomas just simply answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. His belief was a choice. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's many, if not all of us in this room. You have not seen Jesus, but you are blessed because you believe. You are blessed because you believe. Why was this gospel written as the heading over verse 30 in my Bible? Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, John says, his letter. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me, let me condense those last two verses for you, church. He says, therefore, there was many other signs. That word signs means attesting miracles. Attesting miracles. It means proof. Jesus 
gave proof. The Lord provided proof. And then it says in verse 31 that that proof has been written. So Jesus, the Lord, is kind enough to give us proof, and then he's kind enough to write it down for us in Scripture. And it says why? They've been written down so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life. So the Lord in his goodness and his kindness and his generosity, he gives us these signs and we get to write them down. And when we write them down, we get to believe on them. And when we believe on those things, we get to have eternal life. Can I get an amen? Church, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the eternal life that is found in and only in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the signs that you've given us, the words that you've given us, that we can believe and have life everlasting when we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. It's in the mighty name of Christ that we pray, and everybody said, amen. Okay, so it's not a secret that sometimes uh, we lose sight of what Easter really means. We lose sight of Easter. We lose sight of the cross. We lose sight of who Jesus is. There's a few things I just want to show you that I think is interesting, right? The resurrection of Jesus. This is what my friends think, right? This is what my mom thinks. This is what society thinks, what my boss thinks, what the average Christian thinks, but what the resurrection really is, is peace and freedom and deliverance from our sin and being back in a right relationship with the one who created us in his image. That's what resurrection is of Jesus is. Amen? Check out this one. <laughs> Remember, teens, even Jesus once logged off for three days. I would, I would say that it's not just teens that this is applicable to. Anybody with a phone, put it down, right? I don't know how, what this has to do with the message. I just couldn't help myself. How about this next one? <laughs> Bear with me, right? Help me, you idiots. The aliens are taking me. There's a lot of interesting things about where Jesus went. So this is not that outlandish. Everything hinges upon Jesus rising from the dead, the tomb being empty, which we're going to talk about. And what about this last one? This is fantastic. Blessed Jesus, you have returned to us. In what meaningful way could we possibly honor your suffering, death, and resurrection? And Jesus replied in red letters, eggs! He didn't reply eggs, but if he did, we've done really well. <laughs> it's so easy to lose sight in the Easter Sunday. When you think of Easter, what comes to mind? Eggs and the Easter money? Or the cross in an empty tomb and blood that was shed and sins that we're delivered from? I hope we can change our perspective of what Easter Sunday really is, what Resurrection Sunday is. Amen? Thanks for letting me do that. For many centuries, the country of Portugal, they had a motto. And the motto for the country of Portugal was this. It was, nothing more beyond. Their world was limited to the familiar dimensions of the area around the Mediterranean Sea. They believed that to sail beyond the horizon, their border would be to drop off the edge of the world. That makes sense. Eventually, of course, voyagers discovered worlds beyond and brought back evidence to substantiate their claims. Portugal decision makers were thus compelled to alter their motto. Instead of it saying nothing more beyond, it simply said more beyond. Easter assures us that there is more beyond the grave. Hey, look, I don't know if you've been told, we're all going to die. All, I know, sorry, it's supposed to be a happy day. We're all going to die someday. But Easter assures us that there's more beyond that day for us. 
There's not no more beyond. There's more beyond when we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Josh McDowell, who's an apologist, he says this. He says, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. Lee Strobel, who used to be an atheist, he says, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Faith in Jesus Christ makes sense. It's logical, which we're going to discover when we get into our text. Rick Warren, he said this, He says, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, an event occurred that permanently changed the world. Because of that event, history was split. Every time you write a date, you're using the resurrection of Jesus as the focal point. Today is April 21st, comma, 2019. There's supposed to be some letters that follow. What are those letters? A.D., which stands for what? Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. People don't believe in Jesus? Quit writing down a date, doggone it. Oh, sorry, was that snarky? Sorry. I didn't mean to be snarky. My wife's been gone for a couple days. It's rough. I'm just saying. I'll be okay. She's coming back tomorrow. Church, let's go through verses 1 through 10. I want to skim through verses 1 through 10 and talk about a few things. Chapter 20, John 10. We're in the New American Standard Bible. That's what you need on your phone if you're not there already. So on the first day, Sunday, Mary shows up to the tomb. It's dark. And they'd already taken away the body. So she runs to Simon Peter and to John. And so then they come back. And so Peter, verse 3, and the other disciple, they come to the tomb, verse 4. And then they were running. And then, you know, verse 4 is in there so that John lets us know he's faster than Peter. That's great. Verse 5, and stooping and looking in, it's talking about John. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. But Simon Peter, he went in. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, John, who had come first, then he also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away back to their homes. John, in chapter 20, does a wonderful job of keeping the reader, keeping us focused on one particular thing. And that particular thing is he keeps us focused on the tomb. That's what John is focusing us on in, verse, or in chapter 20 of, John, of John's letter, John's book. In fact, in the first 11 verses of chapter 20, the tomb is mentioned nine times. Nine different times the tomb is mentioned in the first 11 verses. And with every mention of the tomb, we're presented with a simple fact. <laughs> He's not there. Nine times it's mentioned, and the fact that John is repeating over and over and over again is that the tomb is empty. Jesus is not in that tomb. 
everything that we hold near and dear about our faith, this thing that we call Christianity, hinges upon this tomb being empty. Go a little to your right in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have Acts, Romans, and then 1 and 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Everything hinges upon this tomb being empty. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. Verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God's name that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Wow. Verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22 explains that. For as in Adam, we all die because Adam sinned. And so also in Christ, all will be made alive because Christ lived a sinless life. And his blood covered our sinfulness. So it makes sense that knowing something about where Jesus is or where Jesus isn't will also tell us something about who Jesus is or who Jesus isn't. Where's Jesus? He's not in the tomb. Oh, then that tells us something about who he is because of where he is or where he isn't. He's not there. He is risen. This tomb thing, this tomb thing is everything for everyone. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew that this tomb thing was everything for everyone. They knew it. Go to your left in Scripture. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, starting at verse 62. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it's a few books to your left. Verse 62. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation of Jesus' body the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Pilate's a powerful Roman official. And they said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, oh, that's harsh, said this. Jesus said, After three days, I'm going to rise again. Therefore, you better give orders for the, for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception is going to be worse than the first. And Pilate, this powerful Roman official, said to them, you have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. The most powerful government in civilization at the time is the Roman government. They know, how to, they know how to guard something, to protect something. There's no way Jesus is getting out of that tomb. They're going to see to it. But Jesus isn't there, is he? 
Thank you, Lord. Another fact worth noting is that the first witness of the resurrection was a woman. Men, where were we? Mary's there. Where are the guys? We're just a little slow on the uptake, Lord. Forgive us. For Jews in that day, the testimony of women was not held in high regard. And so the introduction of the two male disciples, both Peter and John, running to the tomb, most likely has a secondary function in supplying the witness of two men, which would fulfill the Jewish requirement for a valid testimony. John's telling us there's proof. The tomb is empty, and we have the valid testimony of two men. And what did Peter and John see when they got there? They saw grave clothes lying there like an empty cocoon, still retaining the shape of Jesus' body. So now we have two things that are empty. We have an empty cross and we have an empty tomb. These are God's receipts telling us that our debt has been paid. Those are receipts, an empty cross and an empty grave. And that debt's been paid for you and for me. So check this out. We were, we? We were just at Matthew, right? Now back in John 20. I want to show you something in, in John 20 in verse 5, 6, and 8. Let me walk through this first, and then I'm going to show you something on the screens. There's three different Greek words that are used for saw. Go ahead, just leave that screen up for now, Ron. Thank you. Go to verse 5 of chapter 20. So John gets there first, and John stoops in, and he's looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came, and he entered, and he saw the linen wrappings. Verse 8, and so the other disciple, now we're back to John, who had come first, that he entered and he saw. So in verse 5, John saw. In verse 6, Peter saw. And in verse 8, John saw. We use the same word in all three of those verses, but they're actually three different words in the Greek. Go ahead in verse 5. Put up the, verse 5 is blepo. That means when John in verse 5, he just glanced. He, I'm just taking a peek. I'm just taking a peek at this Jesus thing. That's how a lot of us started off our faith journey. We just took a peek. We just kind of took a glance. Maybe you're here because you're taking a glance. You're just going to peek inside. I'm going I'm to give it a look-see. But then in verse 6, Peter is a different Greek word. It's theoreo, which, or you can say the oreo. Anytime I see an oreo, I look carefully and I observe. So <laughs> to look carefully. So Peter goes in and he looks carefully and he observes. That's often our second part of our journey with the Lord. We, we give it a glance, but then we start to look more carefully. And then in verse 8, John goes in and it says this word, edon, to perceive with intelligent comprehension. It makes sense to put your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ. You can have an intelligent comprehension in your faith. I love that gradual uh, approach that, that John uses. This is what's happening here in John chapter 20. And look at the end of verse 8. And he saw and believed. It's not a blind faith. It's perceiving with intelligent comprehension faith. The word says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can have an intelligent faith. We're to, be, we're to have an intelligent faith. Amen? Their resurrection faith was emerging, just like ours did and it continues to emerge. The Lord is showing us through these verses that we can, with intelligent comprehension, have faith, or what we call belief, in Jesus Christ. It's not a blind faith. It's an intelligent comprehension 
faith. It might seem incredible as well that Jesus' followers did not expect him to come out of the tomb alive. Where were they? On numerous occasions and in various ways, Jesus spoke of it when he hung out with his disciples for three and a half years. But although the glorious truth of his resurrection was not immediately understood, it was gradually understood, like it is for many of us here, even by his closest followers. And what a difference it makes when we gradually understand the good news of Jesus Christ. For Mary, it moved her from tears to joy. For the ten disciples, it moved them from fear. They're in a room and they're fearful and it moved them to be courageous when they would go and witness to the world. And for Thomas, it moved Thomas from disbelief to belief. Verses 11 through 18, church. Let's skim through those. So Mary's standing outside the tomb and as she wept, she looked inside and she saw these angels, one at the head and one at the feet where Jesus was. And they said to her, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken him away. I don't know where he's at. And when she had said this, she turned around and she sees Jesus, but she didn't know it was him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she thought he was the gardener. Remember, it's still dark out. And she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she realized it was him. And he said, stop clinging to me. And then Mary came and she announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then she relayed all the things that he had said to her. When Mary looked into the tomb, she saw two angels in white, as we just read. One at each end where the body of Jesus had rested. And most likely, the intent was for us to think of the cherubim on the mercy seat in the sanctuary of Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, as depicted in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Please read that if you have time. It's as if God was saying this. It's as if God was saying, there's now a new mercy seat through my Son, and the way is open into the presence of the Lord God Almighty because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus asked Mary the same question that the angels asked. He says, why are you weeping? She was weeping when she could have been rejoicing. Oftentimes we are weeping when we could or should be rejoicing. And it's because we don't recognize Jesus, the Lord, for who he really is. Sometimes we're experiencing things when we should be experiencing something better. And it's because we don't recognize who Jesus is in our lives. But how awesome is this? He didn't rebuke her. He tenderly revealed himself to her when he looked at her and said, Mary, it's it's me. God does that with us. He just tenderly continues to reveal himself to us, even though oftentimes we don't recognize him in the work that he has in our lives. Verses 19 through 23. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut... And the disciples are hiding out for fear of the Jews. Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and they rejoiced. And he said again in verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, guess what guys? I'm gonna send you into the world. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit. That's where their power came from, the Spirit of God. And he sends them out. How did our Lord transform his, his disciples' fear into courage? They were in a place of fear, but they're going to be sent out in courage. How did he do this? He did it the same way that he turned Mary's weeping into rejoicing. How was that? He came to them. 
That's how he turned Mary. That's how he turned the disciples. He came to Mary and he came to the disciples. Jesus came to them and he reassured them. Two times Jesus proclaimed to them, peace be with you. God would declare peace to those who would believe. He comes to us. He declares peace to us when we believe in him. The Lord, through Jesus Christ, comes to us. He pursues us. He brings us peace. And then he fills us with power through the Holy Spirit. And he moves us from a place of fear to a place where we are now fierce for him, as these disciples would also be. Verses 24 through 29. So Thomas, he wasn't there, verse 24 says. And the other disciples were saying all these things, and he says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, unless I touch and feel and put my fingers here and inside, I'm not going to believe, it says. At the end of verse 25, I will not believe. And then eight days later, they were together again, then he showed up. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, reach here with your fingers and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side. But don't go on unbelieving. That's a choice. But go on believing. And then Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Personally, I think that Thomas gets a bad rap here. (laughs) We, we know him as Doubting Thomas. Hey, look, none of the disciples were at the tomb. They were all in a room for fear. They're all doubting. And so, yes, we call him Doubting Thomas, but you know what? Jesus did not rebuke him for his doubts. Jesus didn't rebuke him for doubting. He didn't rebuke any of the disciples for doubting. He rebuked Thomas for his unbelief. That's what he rebuked him for. He said, stop your unbelief and start believing. Doubt is often an intellectual problem. Unbelief is a moral problem. Sometimes we refuse to believe in spite of the evidence that surrounds us. And like Thomas, we simply choose not to believe. And then our last two verses, as we've already articulated. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and when you believe that you may have life in his name. We must not look at Thomas and these other disciples and have envy for them, as though the power of Christ's resurrection could never be experienced in our lives today. That was why John wrote this gospel as he just declared, so that people in every age could know that Jesus is God and that faith in him brings everlasting life. That's why this was written. Listen, It's not necessary to see Jesus Christ in order to believe. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands saw Jesus Christ and chose not to believe. Yes, it was a blessing for the early Christians to see their Lord and to know that he was alive, but that is not what saved them. They were saved not by seeing, but by what? but by believing. The emphasis throughout John's entire gospel is upon this thing called believing. In fact, he mentions it more than a hundred times. Believe, believe. Stop going on unbelieving and start going on believing. Let me close with this verse out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday to each and every one of you. I'm going to invite up the worship team, but here's what we're going to do. Go ahead, you guys. You guys start working your way up. We have prayer, as always. We always have our prayer team available after service, right? But I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give everybody here an invitation, an invitation to give their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm encouraging you, as John did, as Jesus did in the book of John, stop unbelieving and start believing. If you've never placed your trust, your belief, your hope in Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Or perhaps you've strayed far away and God's saying it's time for us to get back into fellowship with one another. If you really have a serious need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity to walk with him again. Amen? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray and I'm going to give an invitation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, that we can, with intelligent comprehension, put our belief, our faith, and our hope and our trust in you. Lord, forgive us of our sins. We thank you that you died on the cross to do just that. If the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart and saying, now's the time, stop unbelieving and start believing. As Christ took the cross for you, would you simply raise up your hand for him? Just slip your hand up in the air that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, that you're going to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. Just slip up your hand. As the Lord took the cross for you, stick your hand up for him. Let me put your hands down. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to keep going on unbelieving, that we can go on believing. And that when we do, we have life in your name. Lord, we thank you for the cross. May we never lose sight of it. In Jesus' name. Amen.